You can turn over to Romans chapter 6. We've been looking in Romans what it means to be justified. And and that simply, if you had to define justification, it's God declaring us righteous. It's his declaration that we're righteous. It doesn't mean we're always righteous in our practice. We fall, we sin. That happens. And we're going to find out why today. But he has declared us righteous because of the work of Christ if we put our faith, our trust in his work. Um, sanctification, on the other hand, is different than justification. Sanctification is basically a process that happens to a Christian that allows them to become more like Christ each and every day. Each and every day as a Christian, you should be becoming more like your Savior in thought, in word, in deed. And that's the process of sanctification. And we shared some principles of sanctification last week. Um, and uh, John, basically the message, I don't know if you have it up there. Did you find it? It's under the public folder. So if you go to public folder, it's number 47, Romans 47. So you probably have last week's up there. Um, you can find it. I have faith in you. Principles of sanctification. So first of all, we said that sin is not dead in Christians. Okay? Even in the most mature and pious Christians, it's still not dead. Rather, it's always something that we have to struggle with. And then secondly, we talked about sin's hold on us. And the reason it has a hold on us is because of this body. That's why we have an issue with sin, because we're still in this mortal body. That's kind of what we're going to look at today. And then thirdly, sin can reign in or dominate our bodies. And then fourthly, we said, although sin can reign and dominate our body, it doesn't need to. We don't have to yield to it. Although sin can reign and dominate in our bodies, we don't have to. And then fifthly, we said this leads to the last and positive truth. As Christians, we can now offer parts of our body to God as instruments of righteousness. And we're also going to look at that today. And we talked about the different parts of the body, the mind, the eyes, the ears, the tongue, our hands, our feet. But the point of last week's message was really that sin doesn't have to reign anymore. And... uh, You might ask the question, well, how do we stop it? (laughs) How do we stop sinning? Um, How do we continue to experience sin if you're saying that we don't, this doesn't have to be? And so we looked at the kind of the heading there in your outline. Don't let sin reign by following your lusts, but give yourself to God to live righteously under his grace. And we looked at the first one last week. This is all review. To apply these commands, you must have to understand the first half of Romans 6, verses 1 through 11. And that's why it's it's so important. He he starts off here in verse uh, 12. He says, let not sin therefore reign in your bodies. Why? Because of what I just told you up to this point. That's Paul's point that he's trying to get across to us. And also, some of the points that he shared with us is all the way back to chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, where he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's nobody in this auditorium that can say, oh, I've never done anything or I've never sinned. I'm perfect. If you were, you'd be God. And we know none of you are. But thankfully, God didn't leave us there. He didn't leave us under his judgment. He provided a way to to preserve his justice and yet still justify 
declare us righteous as sinners. And he did that by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to bear the penalty of our sin. What a wonderful message the gospel is. Formerly, we were in Adam. We were steeped in our sin. Now we are in Christ. And we spent a whole message on what it meant to be unified with Christ, the mystic union that that when you become a Christian, you are made one with Christ, your Savior. And because of that, in verse 11, because we are one with Christ in his death, we're one with Christ in his resurrection, we're one with Christ in the newness of life. Now he says in verse 11 there, now you have to consider or reckon or calculate yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so by the time we got to verse 11, we know that we have died and risen again. That's what the Bible says. And we've dealt with that in the first 10 verses. And so now we're talking about walking in the newness of life. Well, how do you do that? And last week I used the illustration of Lazarus when he came out of the grave... The Lord had to say, take all those grave clothes off him. He doesn't need those grave clothes anymore. And sometimes Christians get a little messed up and they think that they need to still walk around in grave clothes. That's why he says throughout this text that we have to know these things to be true. These are spiritual facts that we have to believe. And we talked about what it meant to know these things. He says it in verse 3. He says it in verse 6. He says it in verse 9 of Romans chapter 6. And so he's kind of coming to the point where he says, because you know of these things. And then the second word we looked at was the word consider. And he says there that because you know, the, <clears throat> you know these things and you understand these things to be true, that verse 11, so you must consider, you must reckon yourselves dead to sin because we've risen with christ in his resurrection therefore we walk in the newness of life the power of sin the power of death has been conquered that's why in verses 9 and 10 paul takes extra effort to point out that christ died once he doesn't need to die again we don't need to kill jesus every time we have a service here when we have communion jesus says that At the end of his time on the cross, he says, it is finished. He didn't say, hey, I'll be back next week and we'll do this all over again. He didn't say that. I was raised in a church where that's what I was taught, that every every Sunday, every Mass, the priest would take the the host and he'd hold it up and he'd bring Christ from heaven down upon the altar. That's what they're symbolizing. That's why they do that. And they would re-sacrifice Christ every mass. That's why it's called a mass. That's why they have an altar. We don't have a mass. We don't have an altar. This isn't holy ground right here. This is the same kind of ground that you're sitting in. You know, it's the same thing. And and sometimes we get confused over uh, certain things to think that because of our religions teaches certain things, we just declare them to be so. And that's not true. When Christ died, we died. And because he paid the penalty of sin, literally, we were with him. We paid that penalty with him. And sin has no longer a claim on the believer. And not only is the penalty paid, but the power of sin is broken. That was the whole point. That sin doesn't have to have dominion over us anymore. We now live in the newness of life. We're a new creature in Christ, the Bible says. 
Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We're not who we used to be. And so he took great length to point that out. And we just want to be reminded of the simple fact that when we know these things to be true, because the Bible says so, that deals with our mind, right? And then we said, but when we say consider these things, that deals with our heart. You're actually having to believe those things. It's a, it's a faith fact. Nobody, none of us were there when Jesus died. Nobody here was there. At least hopefully you weren't. You'd be pretty old. And so, you know, nobody was there. We didn't see it. But you believe it. Why? Because the Bible says it. Nobody was there at the creation of the world. And yet, it's funny how evolutionists think that, boy, they they just have fact. That's just fact. It's not fact. It's not even science. It's hocus pocus, if you want to believe that. I mean, to think of a, a... a world like we have today with all the intricacies, even of the human body, and to think that somehow that just occurred by some slime washing up on the shore and, you know, kind of after a couple mistakes, it kind of made the, the uh, right organism and that organism went on to fly. I mean, it's ridiculous. And you've all heard the illustration of somebody taking a watch and taking it all apart, taking all the parts apart and putting them in their pocket and shaking it up. You know, you wouldn't pull another watch out. A watchmaker has to put the watch together. That's just, it's just common sense. And yet, the world teaches that as science. And if you believe in creation, or you're small-minded, you're not, you, know, you don't know what you're talking about. And so, the word no deals with the mind. The word consider here in our text deals with the heart. So we have to know something intellectually before you can believe it, right? I mean, you can't believe in something you don't know. That would be silly. And so another word for consider would be to affirm. You're affirming through your heart that, you know what, these things are true. And uh, we looked at basically a couple reasons why people don't believe those things. And sometimes um, people don't realize because they've never heard of it. Secondly, because Satan doesn't want them to believe it. Thirdly, um, because the reality of the new birth is not experiential. In other words, when you come to Christ and you are saved, it's not like bells and whistles go off and, and you know, there's a halo over your head and there's angels appear from heaven. And yeah, Paul, you, you know, it's not experiential. I mean, you may be broken in your sin and you may be very emotional or you may be simply, you know what, I need to do this. And you commit your life to Christ. It's not an experience. It's not physically observable or verifiable. You could come to me and say, you know what? Last week I came to Christ and I got saved. What am I supposed to say? Okay, great. My attitude is let's wait and see. Because <laughs> just because you're saying it doesn't mean it to be true. I can't see, I can't hold you up to a Christian x-ray machine and say, oh yeah, there I see Jesus in your heart. He's in there. That's ridiculous. But that's what we, we think. That's the terminology we use. And so we just assume when certain people say certain things that, well, it must be fact. When a lot of times we should say, well, that's, that's great. That's, I'm glad you're making a profession of Christ. You need to get in the word and you need to grow. Because the Bible says if you're a new Christian, you're going to desire the pure milk of the word. Just like a little baby would desire the mother's milk. So it's not something that is experiential. And then the last thing we looked at, the fourth thing was 
we have this continual sin problem. We have this continual battle with sin. So how do we deal with this? You know, if, if we're dead to sin and did, sin doesn't have dominion over us, it has no power, no reign over us, why are we still dealing with sin? Well, there's good news because the Apostle Paul had the same problem. If you read a little bit further into Romans 7, you don't have to turn there. You can if you want, but we'll get there eventually. But he says this, the things I don't want to do, that I do. (laughs) And the things that I want to do, I don't do. And he kind of sums it up, that whole text there in Romans 7. He says, oh, wretched man that I am. He's just frustrated with himself. And that's every Christian. There are times when we want to do the right thing. But if we're honest with ourselves and with others, there are times when we want to do what's wrong. And usually we end up doing it. That's called sin. We don't always do the right thing. There's that war going on. There's that struggle. And a lot of people say, well, that's the old you and the new you, and they're battling it out, and we've proved that not to be true because the old you is dead. It's buried. It doesn't even exist. When you come to Christ, all things become new. And I remember when I first began this little series in Romans, some of you after the service said, well, I don't understand. You're saying that it has no dominion, it has no power, but why isn't it an issue in my life and other people's lives as a Christian? You struggle with that. How do you explain that? If the old nature is dead, why are we still dealing with sin? Well, that's what we're going to answer today. But before we do, I want to point out a couple practical things of simply knowing these facts and considering these facts to be true. How does this affect us? And these aren't in your outline, and uh, hopefully they'll be on the screen, but uh, they're not in your outline. But the first one is this. Okay, these are basic, important, practical results of considering yourself dead to sin and alive to God through Christ. First of all, we can have confidence in the midst of temptation. You can actually have confidence in the midst of temptation. Knowing that when sin's power is broken, you can successfully resist it in God's power. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, Paul says this, No temptation has what? Overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with that temptation, will provide a way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. There's never a temptation, beloved, that you cannot, in the power of God, have victory over. It's just not true. You have to understand, sin is not your boss anymore. He doesn't have the right to boss you around. He's not your Lord. He's not your tyrant. Christ is. So to know that and to affirm that means that you can have confidence when you're faced with temptation. Temptation is not sin. There's nothing wrong with being tempted. If temptation was sin, we'd have a problem with Christ being tempted, right? Because Christ would have sinned. But no, giving in to temptation, that's when you cross the line. That's when you sin. And so it's very important to understand that there's no temptation that has overtaken you except what is common to man. You're not going through anything that somebody else hasn't gone through. 
And for the first time in your life as a Christian, you have power to say, you know what? No, I don't think so. I'm not going to yield to that temptation. You can be confident in your temptation. Secondly, we have confidence that we cannot sin our way out of God's grace. (laughs) You say, well, what do you mean by that? You can be confident as a Christian if you put your faith, your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. You can be confident that when you do sin, you're not going to lose your salvation. I mean, in all of our lives, sin creeps in now and then. And sometimes we obey it. Even though we don't have to, we do. For whatever reason. But one thing that sin cannot do, it can't take you back from God. It can't cancel out your salvation. You're never going to have to pay the penalty again because Christ paid the penalty for sin. It's done. That's why he says in verses 9 and 10, Christ died, and he died once, and he will never die again. And because that one death provided that one penalty and broke the power of sin, even in our sinning, when we, when we fall, when we fail, we can have confidence that, you know what, this isn't forfeiting our salvation. It's not forfeiting our redemption. And when you're able to consider yourself dead to sin, then you can have confidence in that temptation. You can have confidence even in sin. (laughs) He says in verse 27 of John chapter 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them. And then he says this, they shall never perish. He doesn't say, if they stop sinning, they shall never perish. He just says, they shall never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my father's hand who has given them to me because he's greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. So it's important that we understand that we are secure in Christ. We don't have to go to bed at night worrying, oh, boy, you know, I failed today. I wonder if you know, I'm going to go to hell. No. Thirdly, when we truly consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ, we can have confidence even in the face of death. Yesterday, Danny did a memorial service here for one of his friends from work. And he talked about death. He talked about how, you know what, death is going to happen to every one of us, pending the Lord's return. And death has a way of waking us up a little bit. You know, when you walk away from a a casket in a graveyard and they're putting dirt on top of it and you realize that person's not coming back, they're dead. That kind of helps you maybe reprioritize your life a little bit. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Not one of us. We could die today. We could die right now. But we have to have confidence when we face death. Jesus said in John 11, 25 and 26, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Wow. I mean, you know, you can have confidence when you face death. You know, I don't, I don't look forward to death. You know, I don't look forward to the process of dying. I just pray it's quick and painless, but, you know, you never know. 
I don't look forward to that. But I have confidence knowing that somehow God would get me through that. And that there'll be a day, one day when I breathe my last, my eyes are closed and I'm not going to be in this body anymore. And I'll be in his presence. I can say that with confidence because that's what the word of God says. I mean, can you imagine if you didn't have confidence in the face of death? Oh, you know, what if this happens? What if I'm crossing the street and a car hits me? What if I go to a restaurant and eat some bad food and die? What if, you know, you could, you could just spend hours and waste years of your life worrying about things that have no effect on anything. We have to have confidence in the face of death. So we have confidence in temptation. And we have confidence that even in my sin, I'm not going to lose my salvation. I have confidence in the face of death that it will no longer have a hold on me. And I think that ultimately, when you're freed from fearing temptation and you're freed from facing death and seeing these kind of things go on around you, that frees up a lot. I mean, the Bible tells us very clearly that we should not be, as Christians, worrying about this, worrying about that. Worry is sin. We don't like to hear that, but that's what it is. And it needs to be confessed, and it needs to be repented of. And you can't do that if you're, if you're not considering yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul says. That's a permanent state for the Christian. We're in Christ. We're made one with Christ. John MacArthur says, there's not another religion in the world that claims that fact. In his commentary, he says, I don't hear people who are Buddhists say, oh, I'm in Buddha. <laughs> or I'm in Muhammad. Or I'm in Confucius. They don't say that. It's only Christianity that says that. Because Christ taught that. And Paul taught that. Well, the fourth thing we know, that regardless of what happens in this life, no matter how disastrous it may be, God will use it not only for his glory, but for our blessing. doesn't matter what it is. You could say, well, what if I was in a car wreck and I was paralyzed the rest of my life? I don't care. God will somehow use that for his glory and for your betterment. Well, what if I get cancer and, and I, God will use it for his glory and his betterment? What if my child gets sick and, and passes away? God will use it for his glory and his betterment. It doesn't matter what the situation is. Either you believe God is sovereign over these things or you don't. And Romans 8.28 says, We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. He doesn't say, We know that God works all good things together. He doesn't say that. He says all things, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything. And we need to, as Christians, not just know that, but consider that, affirm that, believe that to be true. Believe what Ephesians 1.3 says, that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That brings us to the second point here. Sin is a tyrant that will reign over us if you allow it to do so. Sin is a tyrant that's why he says here in verse 12 and 13, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body. 
We talked about knowing these spiritual facts to be true intellectually. We talked about considering these spiritual facts to be true as an act of faith, believing them to be so. And here he says basically that you have to present the members of your body or yield the members of your body. Know has to do with the mind. Consider has to do with the heart. Present or yield, that word has to do with, guess what, our will. <laughs> Are we willing to do this? John thirteen seventeen says this. The Lord says, if you know these things, blessed or happy are you if you what? Do them. If you want to be happy, if you want to be blessed in your Christian life, just know what God has told you to do and do them. It's not rocket science. You know, you don't have to go back generation after generation and say, well, my mother, you know, she was... It's ridiculous. Just find out what God wants you to do as a Christian and do them, and you will be blessed. You will be happy. That's what that word blessed means, by the way. It means happy. So sin still has a strong appeal even to those who are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's why he says here in verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Because we have a tendency to let sin reign in our mortal body. And and that's what Paul says all the way back in Romans 7 verses 15 to 20. He says, I do not consider... I do not understand my own actions, he says in verse 15 of Romans 7. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. This isn't some spiritual lightweight, okay? This is somebody who's mature in the Lord. He says, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. He's saying the thing I hate, I hate sin, I end up doing that. In other words, what he's saying is believers still have strong feelings, strong desires, strong lusts. For sin. That's what the word lust means. It simply means desire. You know, a lot of times men, as men, we think of lust, we think of sex. That's what just direct connection there. Well, it doesn't have to be sex. You know, you could, you could be drawn away by something that's good. A desire for something that's good. It doesn't have to be something evil. And so he's been saying here for 10 verses... <clears throat> That sin has no power over us. That sin is not our master. That sin is not our Lord. But he doesn't say this. He never says that sin is not a force to be reckoned with. He's not saying, oh, you know, you you become a... (coughs) Sorry, boy. You become a Christian and all of a sudden you're, you're, you're just impervious to sin you can walk away you know walk around on water and you know you don't deal with sin anymore you're perfect that's not what the bible teaches he never said that sin is not a force to be reckoned with he just said you know what it doesn't have to be your lord anymore it's not our master because christ is and that's why he says this in verse 12 here of romans 6 it's kind of like he's, he's telling us, you know what, dethrone this, this monarch who's not supposed to be the monarch. 
dethrone this guy who's running around giving us orders and he has no right to do so. He wants us to pull back under from under its control. So he says, let not sin reign. You know, for the first time in your life as Christians, when sin comes knocking on your door, you can actually say, you know what, I'm not interested. (laughs) Go away, I'm not interested. I mean, you know, if if it were not true that, that sin has some power to be reckoned with, Paul wouldn't have to give us all these warnings about it. But that union with Christ, when we become one with Christ, it does not eradicate the lust of the flesh. We're still a person. We're still in this body. And before we were Christians, when we were unsaved, when we were still yet in our sin, what was, who was our master? Sin was our master. Who did we serve? We served sin. And so you can kind of see it here. It's almost like you picture sin as a king and you see Jesus as a king. And it's like, all right, who has the right over you? Well, if you're a Christian, Christ has the right over you. The Bible says before we were Christians, we were slaves to sin. That's a strong word. We were its slaves. We couldn't help ourselves but sin. And that means even the best of the best, even the good moral people in this world without Christ, they're still slaves to sin. Sin was our sovereign power, you might put it. If you look over at verse 17, down a little further in Romans 6, he says just that. Once we were slaves to sin, he calls us that. I'm not making this up. It says it right there in the Bible. So what does he mean when he says, let not sin therefore reign? Okay. What he's saying is that sin has no dominion to reign. Um, It's an exhortation. And so he's telling us, you know what? Because sin doesn't have the dominion to reign in your life, stop acting like it does. That's what he's saying. He's saying quit treating sin like some big powerful thing in your life that you have to obey. And use an excuse to carry out your own desires. Its power is broken. Don't let it act. Don't let sin act like it still has that power in your life. You know, when I was down in the Coachella Valley in between churches, I worked for the DA's office and got to see a lot of things. And one thing that I saw was down in the Coachella Valley, there are a lot of Indian reservations. And on the Indian reservations, they have casinos, right? I mean, that's how they kind of generate some money for themselves, and that's fine. And on these Indian reservations, because they have all these casinos, they have to provide security because they're kind of, by federal law, they're operating as a sovereign nation onto themselves. Um, And so we had to deal with the, the Cabazon Band of Mission Indians at the DA's office. And this band of Mission Indians, basically what they did was they actually had their own police force, and um, they had these police men overseeing the security of the casinos and the, the reservations and whatnot. And um, they had marked police cars with an emblem that looked like a police thing with a badge. It said Cabazon Indian Police Force 
on the side of the car. The car had lights on it, had a light bar on the top. They had sirens. These police officers carried guns. They wore official uniforms with badges that stated that they are the tribal police officers. Well, unfortunately, these policemen got in trouble. Um, the problem was is that they, if you know anything about Indio, I-10 goes right by Indio, and there's a lot of casinos right there. So one of these Indian security guards, we used to call them security guards because they aren't really sworn officers as far as the state is concerned, but they look like them. They look like a regular policeman. What they would do is they'd go out and they'd go on I-10. And they just start pulling people over randomly with their lights and their sirens. And, hey, if you're driving down the freeway and you see, what are you going to do? If you're a law-abiding, you're going to pull over, right? And they'd come up and say, hey, you're going too fast. You're going 80. And, well, I don't think I will. You know, we have it on radar. They didn't even have radar guns, but they were saying all this stuff. And he's got a badge. He's got a gun. You're thinking, okay, right? We're going to write you this ticket and you can mail this in. You know, it's $250 fine, whatever. Oh, okay, sorry, officer. Okay, fine. You're free to go. Go ahead. They were doing this like off the hook and making lots of money doing this. Well, eventually there was a lawsuit that was brought against the Indians by the California Highway Patrol and the state saying, you don't have the right to do what you're doing. And actually went to court. And the outcome of that whole court case, the result was that the Indian police officers, the judge ruled that when you leave your reservation or you leave your casino property... If you have a car with lights on it, you have to put them in the trunk. If you have a siren, you have to physically disable the siren. If you're carrying a gun, it has to go in the trunk because you're not allowed to carry a gun if you're not a police officer, just around without any kind of permit. And they were just all upset about this, but they were using their authority wrongly. And innocent bystanders were paying millions of dollars to the Indian reservation because they thought they got a ticket from somebody that had the authority to give it to him. It's the same thing when we come to sin in the life of a believer. It doesn't have jurisdiction. It has no authority. It has no dominion. If sin is no longer in authority, it's no longer the monarch over us, then why don't we act like that? Why don't we treat it that way? You know? And even... After this whole lawsuit happened, you know, there was uh, people that finally got up the, the guts when they got pulled over by the tribal police because it was in the news and everything. They said, wait a minute, I, we know what's going on. You don't have the authority. And they just drive away and there's nothing they can do. See, this is what, what, what we have to believe about being dead to sin. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says this. You know, you want to know what you are as a Christian? It says you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's what a Christian is. And it goes on there and it says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of what? Darkness into his marvelous light. And he says, once you were not a people. Verse 10, 1 Peter 2. But now you are God's people. Amen? I mean, you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's what a Christian is. 
It's a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people (coughs) of his own, called to show forth praises, taken out of darkness into light, now the people of God, now the recipients of mercy. He tells them all that, and then he says this in verse 11 of 1 Peter 2. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. In other words, you're in a place you don't belong. We don't belong in this world as Christians. We're just passing through, as the song says. He says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which, war, which wage war against your soul. I mean, he wants them to understand who they are in Christ, that you don't have to give in to sin's desires. You have to understand that sin's goal is not to assist you in your program for happiness and success. All right, sin doesn't come alongside of you in your life and say, oh, I just want to make you successful and, and happy. No. He tries. Satan tries. He tried from the beginning. Come on, just eat that fruit. Doesn't it look good? It must be good, because why would God tell you not to eat it? You know what? If you eat that fruit, you'll probably be like God. So go, go ahead. Go ahead. Do it. Well, I've always wanted to kind of be like God. That sounds pretty good. It's a personal, pretty good goal to have. I want to be like God. And so Satan always presents sin as if it's a good thing. But Paul tells us sin is as evil, horrible tyrant that will reign over you and eventually will lead to death. If you let it. I mean, it's kind of like having a, you know, a little bit of a disease or a little bit of this or a little bit of that. You can't really go there. You know, you have to take care of it. You have to take medication to eradicate it. As Christians, we can't tolerate just a little bit of sin, thinking that hopefully, well, you know, it's just this little bit. Nobody knows about it. It's over here in the dark, dark corner of my heart, and it's okay. I mean, I'm under God's grace, right? I mean, what shall we say then? Are we to consider, continue in sin and let grace abound? Oh, yeah, go ahead. After all, the pastor just said, if you sin, you're not going to lose your salvation. So what would hurt? But we have to understand that sin seeks to dominate us. And he does so through our bodies. Sin dominates us through our body. That's why he says here, do not let sin reign where? In your mortal body. That's what he says. What's it mean? The mortal body is is the corrupt body. This body is corrupt. When you go to heaven, are you going to have this body? No, you're not. You're going to have a glorified body. You're going to have a a body like Christ had when he came out of the grave. This body is earthly. It's cursed. It's, 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 It's failing. That's why when you get up in the morning, it aches, it pain. You got all this stuff going on, you know, the older you get. The older you get, you can't even remember what you're doing sometimes. Playing worship earlier. I mean, we were playing some song, and I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing. What song? I, I was lost. I'm thinking, what is wrong with me? Man, this is scary. That's what happens. See? And, and so the mortal body, it's the physical body. That's where sin seeks to rule. 
Now listen to this. Before you were saved, sin reigned not only in your body, but it reigned in your soul. Before you were saved, sin not only reigned in your body, but it reigned in your soul as well. And so when you got saved, when you became a new creation in Christ, what happened? The old you, the old soul died. And it died and it was buried and not to be dealt with anymore. And a new you was created in Christ. And that new creation is the soul. Well, where can sin reign? Not in your soul. It can reign in your body. That's the only thing you got left. The old man is dead. And we have a new soul. So the only opportunity, you might think of it this way, that sin has to approach us The only place is in our body, physically, in our mortal body, in our flesh, in our humanness, you might say. The word mortal simply means transitory, subject to death, longing to this world, belonging to this world. Well, when we get saved, we're called new creations. We're new creatures in Christ. But sin is still left here to deal with this body. So what's the answer? The answer is, if you could somehow shed your body, (laughs) you'd be sinless. Literally. You would walk in perfect holiness. I mean, that's what the Bible teaches. Look at Romans chapter 8. Just a couple pages there to the right. (laughs) He tells us, Paul says, he says, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. If we just get rid of this body, he goes on in verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. Just like Paul in Romans, when he's going, oh, wretched man that I am, why do I do these things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I should be doing? He says in verse 23, and not only the creation is groaning, because the creation has been cursed as well, But we ourselves, he says in verse 23, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and what? The redemption, what's it say? Of our bodies. Our mortal bodies. That's what we're waiting for. I mean, when you get your redeemed body, when you get your glorified body, sin ain't going to be able to touch you. Not at all. And you'll be in a place where you don't have even have to deal with sin. (laughs) I mean, Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven. Well, what part of us is in heaven? Is our body in heaven? No, our soul is. Our soul is. We are heavenly citizens. That's why the Bible says, Don't mess around with stuff here in the world. It's not worth it. You're not even a citizen there. You're just passing through. All the, everything you see, everything that looks attractive, it's all going to fall away. We're new creations in Christ. We're heavenly creatures. We're partakers of that divine nature. We're indwelt with the spirit of the living God. 
So he says, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, Philippians 3 says this, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. That's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for that final transformation. We're waiting for the time when we leave this earth, either by death or the Lord coming back, and we're, boom, out of here, and we have a glorified body. What a wonderful thing. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. I think Bob maybe read this on Easter Sunday or somebody read it a couple Sundays ago. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says this, I tell you this, brothers. This is, this is so important to understand this. He says in verse 50, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood, hear me, cannot inherit, inherit the kingdom of God. What's that mean? This body ain't going there. That's what that means. You're going to leave it behind. That's why at a funeral, you go to the, the, the graveside, the body's in the casket, you know, I've never been to a funeral and somebody said, where's he at? No, the body's there, right? I mean, physically, the body is there. It's in the, it's in the casket. It's going in the earth. And it's, it's important for us to understand that. It's Christ who will transform this body. And so he says the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Now, you may be looking at your body going, well, this, this body is pretty good. You know, I take good shape of this body and I'm proud of this body. That's fine, but it's not going with you. <laughs> Do all you want. But you're not going to get to heaven with it. And he says at the end of verse 50 there, why? Because nor does perishable inherit imperishable. How are you going to get in? If this body's not going to heaven, how are we going to get there? Look at what Paul says. Hey, I got a mystery. I want to tell you something secret, top secret. He says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In other words, sometimes, I mean, the Lord can come back right now. If we're alive, we're not going to die. We're just going to be transformed. But the Lord may not come back for another 20, 30, 50, 100 years. We don't know when the Lord's coming back. So if that's the case, we're all going to die. But he says, we're not going to sleep. We're all going to be changed. In other words, when we die, we don't just go to the grave and just lay there. That's it. No, we're going to be changed. And he says this, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. That's not a blink. That's a twinkle. That means the amount of time that light refracts off the pupil. I mean, it's milli, 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 milliseconds. At the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, it says, and the dead will be raised. How imperishable. And we shall be changed. Now, when those people come out of their graves, they're not going to have mortal bodies. They're going to have glorified bodies. They're not going to have corruptible bodies. They wouldn't be able to go to heaven if they were corruptible. They're going to have immortal, incorruptible bodies. In verse 53, it says, For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must also put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then 
shall come to pass the saying that is written. Look at what it says. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Verse 56, it goes on. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I mean, hopefully you get the picture. Now, in Romans 6, Paul is not saying this. He does not say, uh, don't let sin reign in your soul. He doesn't say that. He says, don't let, he doesn't say, let, don't let sin reign in your spirit. He doesn't even say, don't let sin reign in you. He doesn't say that. He says what? Don't let sin reign where? In your mortal body. That's the only place sin can operate. Why? Because the real you, the real self is holy. Your soul is holy. It was declared holy by God. That's the new you in Christ. And that's where that struggle comes from in Romans 7. When Paul is saying, man, I want to do the right things, but I can't. That's where the struggle is coming from. And, and we need to understand that. And we need to, to believe that. I mean, take some time this week and read Romans 7 verses 15 to, to 20. And you can see it right there. The struggle, the struggle comes from being in this body. Now, don't think your body's bad. It's not your body that's evil. It's, it's, it's your body that's being used as a medium for sin to operate. As a matter of fact, your body is good. God created it good. Or he wouldn't say in Romans 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your what? Your body, a sacrifice. Well, God, if my body is so evil, then why do you want it as a sacrifice? No, you're not, your body's not evil. It's what happens through your body. That's what's evil. And that's why he continues here and he says, you have to use your body not as an instrument, or the word is weapon, for unrighteousness. Don't yield to sin. Don't allow Satan, the tyrant, the king, to come and, and recruit you for his army and to use you for sinful purposes. You don't have to listen to him. He has no authority over you as a Christian. But rather, understand that you have victory over sin. And because you gave yourself to Christ, you gave yourself to God. You were saved. You were gloriously transformed. Do not let sin reign in your body and you be used as a weapon for unrighteousness. That's what he wants us to understand. And so he, he kind of concludes here... Um, so in Christ, exercise your will to stay, say no to sin, and say yes to God. I know I'm all over the place here with this outline, but it, it kind of all comes together. Okay, you have a responsibility to stop the reign of sin in your life. That's on you. You know, you can't point to God and say, well, God, you gave me this body. No, because you have a soul within you that's a new creation in Christ. And for the first time through the power of the Spirit, you can actually say no to sin. And you can do works of righteousness that God will accept as a Christian. 
Don't let Satan be a king who collects weapons to bring unrighteousness around the world. Don't let him use you that way. That's the picture that Paul is trying to paint here. It's a combat situation. I mean, think if, if somebody broke into your house late at night and you saw they had a gun and you're struggling with them and, and through the struggle they dropped the gun and it went over in the corner. Would you actually go, oh, oh just a second. Would you do that? No, you wouldn't do that. That would be stupid. <laughs> Sorry, grandkids. Grandkids think stupid's a bad word, but it's actually, I learned this last past weekend, actually in the Bible a couple places, so I'll have to instruct them on that. <laughs> but it, it's, you wouldn't do that. That's, it's kind of a silly picture, but that's really what we're doing when we give into sin. We're saying, oh, wait, here, wait, wait, Satan, yeah, I'll help you out here. I just can't resist. It's just too... Yes, you can. In the power of Christ, you can. Victory over sin is only possible for those who are spiritually alive from the dead. In other words, you have to be in Christ for this to happen. You have to be in Christ. Someone who's yet to commit their life to Christ, they don't have a hope. They don't have a prayer. I mean, I mean they're, they're going to they're gonna be... A slave to sin. Whether they're good, bad, whatever, they could be, you know, all those things. But they're still a slave to sin. It still has dominion in their life. And we have a responsibility to stop and to say, no, I'm tired of this. This isn't going to happen anymore. And then the last thing here, he kind of wraps this up in verse 14. Verse 13, he talks about the instruments or weapons of unrighteousness. You don't have to do this. You're, you, you, Jesus is your Lord. You, you use your, your body as a, a weapon of righteousness. Don't give in to Satan to let him manipulate you and use you for unrighteousness purposes. And then he closes it off here in verse 14. He says, for sin will have no dominion over you. Period. End of argument. Yeah, but you don't understand. No. You don't have to understand. That's what the Bible says. And he says this, since you are not under law, but under what? Under grace. The whole purpose here and to understand is that, you know what? We don't have to do what Satan and what sin instructs us to do. For the first time in our life, we're free to do the right thing. We're free to live in a way that's honoring to Christ. That's the whole point here. And so when you stop and you say, well, our new life in Christ, what is that? For the first time, you can serve God with a pure heart. And that your service that you render to him will be acceptable to him. You know, you might be the best person in the world. But outside of Christ, your good works are like filthy rags, the Bible says. There's no hope for you if you're trying to work your way to heaven doesn't work out that way, friends. You have to put your faith, your trust in Christ. So we have to stop making these excuses. We have to stop and say, you know what? Why am I doing the things I'm doing? Why am I acting the way I'm acting? Well, maybe you don't know some things about who you are in Christ. And if you do not know those things, then it's going to be hard for you to consider those things to be true or to affirm those things. And it's definitely going to be impossible for you to 
yield your life to God, if it's all messed up with sin, how's that going to work out? Not too well. So please know that this is a victorious message. That when you receive God's grace in Christ, the power of sin is broken. And in Christ, you have the power to just stop. Stop it. Like I said last week, just stop it. And readjust your thinking. Don't believe the lies that Satan wants you to believe about yourself or about others. No, you, you are a new creation in Christ. When you got saved, it was not addition. God didn't save you and say, okay, here's the old man. Now I'm going to add something to that. And now you're going to have to live in this horrible struggle for the rest of your earthly life. No, he said, you know what? I'm going to not add to your life. I'm going to transform you. It's like sometimes when they buy property here in the Bay Area, you know, these people just have money coming out their ears. They'll buy a, a piece of property with a beautiful house on it. And you go, wow, that, that sold pretty quick. That's a really nice house. And you drive by the next week and they got dozers and they're tearing the house down. And it's like, what's going on here, you know? It's like a multi-million dollar house and they're just tearing it down. And they're going to, hey, they're going to put up something new. Why? Because they can. That's what happens to us as believers. When we come to Christ, God just kind of takes a wrecking ball and does away with the old you. It's buried. It's dead. It's gone. And he says, you know what? I've got to re-transform you. I've got I to gotta make you a brand new person in Christ with new desires and new wants and new purpose and new gifts. And for the first time, you're going to be able to serve me with all your heart and reap the blessings of a life that is given over to God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we do have victory over sin, that we do have a new life in Christ, that we don't have to yield to its power.